Father, we do thank you for family. Uh, I just ask that you would um, help us to right now as we go over these chapters, that these chapters are to benefit us and to instruct us. And we're thankful that we can be here to hear your voice. It's not the voice of the world. It's not the voice of culture or mainstream. It is the voice and the words of the living God that desires for us to live a healthy life, an abundant life to live in truth. So I pray that our hearts would be teachable right now and desiring, Lord, to, to know that you want the very best for us and how we can live in that way, to live in purity, to live in a way that we're walking in wisdom. So I do pray that we would be attentive Tonight, as we come to the communion table as well, as we take the elements, we're going to be remembering what Jesus did for us. We are indeed a blessed people because we are here. So, Lord, help us be attentive, our ears open, and our eyes just enlightened in our understanding as we go over the text here tonight that we're going to read. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Solomon writing, inspired by the Spirit of God, in chapter 7 of Proverbs, verse 1, that my son keep my words and treasure my commands within you, and keep my commands and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. So here we're being instructed once again, Solomon writing to his son saying that you, to keep God's wisdom in your heart, and it is important that we just don't have it in our head, but we have it in our hearts and keep it close to you. And in this poetic language that Solomon uses, remember that we're in the poetic books of the Old Testament and poetic language is going to be used. And we see that wisdom is personified uh, by different things, by here a sister, by uh, one who um, is a nearest kin. Uh, we know that that poetic language speaking about that which is immoral is personified through the immoral woman. But we can apply it to any situation, and not just an immoral woman, but watch out for anyone who is immoral, the immoral man, one who's trying to seduce, one who's trying to pull you into sin. And so there's a lot that we can learn here in chapter 7. And I think it's important because we see her again. We've already saw her in chapter 6. You remember that it was my son, uh, keep your father's command and, and make sure that you are one that doesn't fall into the flattering tongue of a seductress woman. And, and so he's already been warned, his son. This is the third time that we see that Solomon in, in chapter 7 now, the third time that he's warning against immorality, uh, the immoral woman. He, he's saying, I want you to get this down. And I think it's important for us, especially in a day in which we're living in, because a lot of the church won't talk about immorality. We know that when Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, he said, this is the will of God, that you sustain from sexual immorality. And a lot of pastors won't talk about it because culture and society is telling us that we need to accept that which is immoral. Any kind of sexual sin is all right. It's to be embraced. Uh, any kind of sexual lifestyle is to be celebrated. And we know that God's word is very clear that you and I as Christians, that we're to live in purity, that any kind of sexual 
activity outside of the marriage relationship is considered sin. Adultery is specifically any kind of sexual relationship outside the, the marriage relationship. And then fornication kind of covers, encompasses all of sexual sin. But it's not a popular subject today. And there are those who will say, well, we're not even going to address it. We're not going to address it. We're not going to be judgmental. We don't want to, you know, uh, you know single anybody out or things like that. And we need to address it in the church because it's a very important subject for all of us. And hear God's word. He, we need to hear the heart of the Lord. In the words that Solomon is speaking here, that once again, I'm telling you, treasure my commands within you. Keep them at the law that I give to you, my ways, as the apple of your eye. The apple of your eye is the most sensitive part of your eye. And, and make sure that you're enlightened, that you can see spiritually, have it in your heart, and know that you are my sister wisdom, your nearest kin, and you keep from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. We already saw that in chapter six, that the warning is given against one who flatters. As I mentioned last week, flattery is the food for fools. The one who, who flatters. And you see, the path is, is going to be laid out here. As once again, Proverbs tells us, there's a path that we can take. There's a path of purity or there's a path of immorality. There's a path of righteousness or a path of wickedness. There's a path of wisdom or there's a path of foolishness. And all of us have decision what path we're going to take. And we know that the Lord desires for us to take the right path, the path of purity, of holiness that he has for us, because that's where we're going to experience the abundant life that he has for you and for me. And so be careful that you don't start down that pathway flattering words. Somebody begins to flatter you. We know what that is, flirting with you. It can happen. Well, you know, you, you understand me. Uh, my husband doesn't understand me. He, he's not nice. He's not spiritual like you are. Uh, he, he doesn't speak kind words. Or, you know, when an adulterous relationship begins, it begins in that way. Or, or my wife, she doesn't respect me like you do and, and doesn't listen to me. And pretty soon the flattery starts and the, the, the you know, path to to falling into sin begins in that way. We know what flattery and flirting is all about. And we need to be wise. It's different than building somebody up. It's different than exhorting somebody in the things of the Lord. But just that flirting that leads to, to flattery, that leads to then fantasy, that then leads to falling. That's the pathway that we have seen here and what he's talking about. Be careful, he says. Be careful. In verse 6, for at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice and I saw among the simple. Now, that word simple in the Hebrew means knucklehead, okay? That's simply what it means. And here is she is looking out, and that's for anybody, just looking for that one who will fall into their lustful desires, pulling somebody into sin. I perceive among the youth a young man devoid of understanding, 
passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. And so I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. And I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, that is, uh, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. And then verse 17, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home, and he has gone on a long journey, and he has taken a bag of money with him, and will come home on the appointed day. So as we read these verses, falling into immorality, falling into an adulterous relationship, and in that pathway, the deception, the sin, we see here that it is the one that it says she's loud and rebellious. In other words, aggressive, rebellious against the ways of the Lord. And I noticed verse 14. I was thinking about this this afternoon as I was preparing that I have peace offerings with me. Today I've paid my vows. You know what a peace offering is in the book of Leviticus it's a free will offering of fellowship. In other words, it's somebody who perhaps is religious or somebody who goes to church. I'm in fellowship. I've done my peace offerings. I've paid my vows. And the reason that I'm mentioning that, because we know, I think all of us that are here, we know that sexual sin can happen within the church. And unfortunately, it does. And we need to watch out and be careful and we need to make sure that we address it because we don't want to be deceived. Paul addressed it to the church at Thessalonica, and we need to address it today in our own culture. That the Lord makes it very clear that he desires for us to again live in that purity. That he desires that there be that sexual relationship only in the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And any sexual relationship outside of that is considered sin. And we know that the Lord desires for us to have that purity that we exercise with one another. So be careful because Christians have fallen into sin, adultery, uh, relationships that have pulled them into where there was hurt and, and immorality. And it was painful. You know, one of the things that, um, that we do here, you know, Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, and this really helps. And again, the flattery and, and looking, uh, maybe a woman looking at a man saying, you're spiritual. Oh, I wish my husband was that spiritual. I, I wish he knew the Bible. I, I wish he would talk to me about the things of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul, he says that wives, if you've got a question, you ask your husbands. Now, some may look at that and say, that's old fuddy-duddy. But I tell you how practical it is in a church when that is exercised. Wives, if you got a question, ask your husband. And I'll tell you why. I have had over the years of ministry, husbands that have called me up and said, my wife is asking me about this, Jeff. What do I tell her? And we'll walk through the scriptures. And, and I'll talk to them. And they'll go home and they'll talk to their wives. And, and they come back and they say, you know, my wife really liked that. 
And now she's asking me more and will continue to help them. But it, it develops their relationship. And husbands, many of them, several of them, have really grown and said, I understand the seriousness that I'm to lead my family and my wife spiritually. Because the wives did go to their husbands. Maybe there are wives that their husbands aren't interested in spiritual things. Maybe they're unbelievers. So what do you do? We're going to help you here at Calvary Chapel. I'm going to help you as much as I can in ministering to you as we teach the Word of God. But also the Scripture says that the older women are to admonish the younger women. One of the things that we put in place, I know that there are times when a woman needs to just be, you know, ask, you know, just come and talk to me and need prayer. But I will not disciple women. And I will not go into a long-term counseling session with women. That is what the older women are to do, women counseling younger women, and then the men are to be counseling the you know, older men. And I'm talking not just chronologically, but maturity in the scriptures are to be counseling the younger men. And that's the way that God has set it up. So we're here to help you. We're here to minister to you. But listen, I won't disciple women. And, and I won't counsel women. I'll pray with you. I'll answer your questions as much as I can but we won't get into those situations. Because again, there have been, I have seen unfortunately, that pastors and those in ministry have fallen into sin because they begin to disciple women. They begin to disciple somebody and pretty soon, you know, the emotions are shared and the flattery starts to come and they get sucked into it where they fall into sin. So we put those things in place here at Calvary Chapel. But wives, ask your husband, and we'll, we'll help you as much as we can in that. But unfortunately, it does happen in the church, and we need to be careful. One of the things that I want to also guide is, you know, for you who are single and young, you're going to be developing relationships with others, and, and that happens, and, and that can be good. But remember this, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, that Paul writes, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. That young lady or that young man that you're seeing, that you begin to develop a relationship, guys, you see her as a sister in the Lord because she is very precious to Jesus. She is your sister in the Lord primarily. And you remember that. And you encourage her in the things of the Lord. And, and ladies, you remember that that young man, he's a brother in the Lord. So you're to treat them with all purity, and that's the Lord's desire in those relationships. To make it to where the Lord is pleased with it, and he can bless and grow. I get questions all the time about couples living together outside of marriage. About... Can we be sexually active? Or is it okay to live in this lifestyle that God's word says, no, it's sin? And if you or any of us are flirting with any kind of sinful activities, whatever the case may be, we need to repent and turn to the Lord. 
Because what we see here is warnings are given. Stay away from it. And he's going to really talk about that as we see uh, here that, um, you know, here is Solomon. He's writing this and he's saying there's a pathway. There's, there's seduction that happens. There's, there's all this that takes place. You need to be careful. You need to be careful. Don't fall into that deception. And then as we read in verse 18, it says, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. I want you to understand that's not love in the true sense of the word. Again, poetic terms that are used here. In the New Testament, there's different words for love. There's erotica, which is essential love. There's phileo, which is brotherly love, you know, the city of Philadelphia, uh, the city of brotherly love. There is uh, agape love, which is God's love. And listen, for anybody, whether you're in the marriage relationship or whether you're single, if somebody comes along and says, let's make love, our world has polluted that word so badly. Let's make love in a sinful way. It's not love. They are not loving you in the true sense of the word because love will not pull somebody into sin. It's lust, but it's not love to where I want to fulfill my desires and my pleasure. Love will not cause somebody to sin. So you treat them as a brother, as a sister, with all purity is what we are to do. And here, you know, take, he's taking this long journey, this, this situation here in an adulterous relationship and come home on the appointed day. You know, one of the things deception is, is that people think that no one will find out about my sin. I've had many people sit in my office and thought, I didn't think anybody would find out. I didn't think I was going to hurt anybody. That's one of the deceptions of sin. First of all, God knows. God knows. And that's why we see that we're going to be told that the beginning of wisdom is what? To fear the Lord. That the beginning of knowledge is to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is just having a reverence for him. That I want to hurt my Lord. I love him. And I want to walk in a way that pleases him. I want to walk in a way that, 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 that because of my love for him, that I don't hurt him with my sin because it hurts the Lord. And you see, your sin will find you out, the scripture says. And we're not getting away with it. I think about Joseph. May we be more like Joseph, that young man in Genesis that you remember that it was Potiphar's wife that sent all the servants away and she's alone. She's saying the same thing as what Proverbs is saying here in chapter 7. Everybody's gone. My husband's away. He, he's out doing business for Pharaoh. So lie with me. And what was the response of Joseph? Joseph was wiggled out of it and he ran away. He said, how can I do this great wickedness before my God? That's the fear of the Lord. He didn't want to do that and, and sin against the Lord. He wanted to live in purity. And we are as well. Let's continue verse 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Don't fall for it. And immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. We're being told, don't be as dumb as an ox. All right, don't go that way. You know, or a fool to the correction of the stocks. 
till an arrow struck his liver. As the bird hastened to the snare, he did not know it. It would cost his life. Ends up being ugly. You know, the bird that's in a snare, you're going to get all fouled up if you go that direction. And it is serious what we're talking about. It is serious. Because we see here that Solomon, as he says, didn't know that it would cost his life. How many families have been ruined in marriages and people hurt, cut very deeply because of sexual sin? And unfortunately, it happens. And there is forgiveness. Our Lord is so forgiving and he desires to restore. But there's so much pain and hurt that has to go through whether you're single. Some people say, well, I'm single. You know, if I'm sexually active, you know, no big deal. I've had young people sit in my office and say, I hurt because I want to marry this, this young man who is a godly young man and what I should be given to him I already gave to somebody else or vice versa. And there is hurt. Yes, there's forgiveness. And the Lord can do a restoring work. And we'll help in doing that. But the scriptures is warning us, don't go that direction. We see as we finish in verse 24, now therefore listen to me, my children, pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways, nor stray into her paths, for she's cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the well way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. And people will tell you that falling into sexual sin, whether adultery or any kind of immorality, that there was hell to pay. They went through the hurt, the pain. You know, all that, what it cost them. Again, families fractured. You know, people that are hurt, they've lost their reputation. They've, I've seen guys lose their ministry. And every time I hear it, it causes me to shake. I tremble. I tremble at it. So the warning is given to us because God wants the very best for us, doesn't he? You see, don't think as God is a killjoy that he doesn't want me to have any fun and there's a bunch of rules and regulations, especially you who are young. He wants the very best for you. And you wait for him and he wants you to live a wholesome life and a good life where there's safety and security. And that means to live his way because his ways are true and right as we're going to see in the next chapter here in just a few minutes. But many have been taken down and hurt because of sin. And now we're being warned here, don't go that direction. So if any of us are playing around with any kind of sexual sin or temptation, please stop, really stop, repent, and turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. And say, I hear you. I hear the warnings. And I don't want to go to the way of hell. Because you want better for me. Before service, we got a, a hornet's nest or something out by our front door under the eaves or something. And David had gotten stung. So I was determined. I'm, well, I wonder where those hornets are. Sue warned me, do not go out there. 
This is before service, 6 o'clock, almost 6 o'clock. So what do I do? I'm strong, I'm tough, so I go out there, and they attack me. I got stung several times. They were in my shirt, stinging my stomach. And when I came in, she said, I told you not to go out there. <laughs> she warned me. David warned me. But I was determined I was going to do it my way, you know. And we know what it is. You spray a hornet's nest when? When it's dark, when they're all there and they're inside. But am I going to listen to that? No, I'm not. I'm going to do it my way. And I end up getting stung. And then she had compassion for me, and she gave me, you know, some stuff to put on it. And, you know, I've taught here um, when I've had colds, when I haven't felt good. I even did Easter services several years ago with 103 fever that morning. But never did a service. I hurt so bad (laughs) and swollen from hornet's stings. You know, my stomach's already swollen enough as it is. So enough of having you feel sorry for me. (laughs) You know, we will show compassion. We will help you as much as we can. But there's going to be a lot of pain. So don't get stung. Because the warning's been given. Because the Lord loves you. And don't buy into what society... See, society is telling us as Christians, you need to accept immorality. You know, you need to, to celebrate. It's not a big deal. Please don't buy into the world's ways because it is lies and it is deceptive and you will find yourself being hurt and stung. That's the way of the enemy to make you think it's okay. Everything's cool. You're just having a little pleasure, a little fun. No one's going to find out. No one's going to get hurt. You're not going to get hurt. I've seen so many people get hurt. So many people get hurt badly because of sexual sin, whether they're single or whether they're married, whatever the case may be. The Lord loves you. He wants the very best for you. You young people, you single people, you wait on the Lord. And you have godly relationships. And you who are married, you love your spouse. And you be faithful to them. And we ask the Lord to help us in the world in which we're living in, not to go down that path which is deceptive and wrong. Don't go there. But keep wisdom close to your heart, right? And you keep the commandments of the Lord because His commandments are not burdensome, but an expression of His love for you. Chapter 8, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of a high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. And to you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. And so here in chapter 8, as we begin, we see the excellence of wisdom. God doesn't hide his wisdom from us. Isn't that what's wonderful about studying God's word? We can know God's wisdom, and we see God's wisdom, and we learn God's wisdom, and I commend you for coming out and, and learning this. And it's a wise person that says, I'm going to keep learning. I hope that none of us get to the point where we say, oh, I've read the Bible, or I went to church for a while. That was the thing that I did. Or I've read Proverbs or you know, whatever it may be. 
we can never exhaust God's wisdom and God's word. We need to keep learning. We need to keep being reminded. We need to keep growing. And that's for all of us. I've been teaching the Bible for several years, and I realize there's so much more that I need to learn. There's so much more that I need to remember, continually taking it in. So we see the excellence of wisdom that is available for all of us. And that that's really is so wonderful about having God's word here. And he's going to talk about the value of God's word. But we read in verse 5, O oh, you simple ones, and understand prudence. And you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things. And from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And all the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. And they will all plain to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. So listen, when we hear wisdom, we have a choice, as I've already said, whether we're going to follow it, apply it or not. But understand that God's wisdom includes, verse 6, speaking of excellent things, right things. It speaks truth, verse 7. In righteousness, verse 8. And gives us godly knowledge, verse 9. And when we reject God's wisdom, we are rejecting what is right and things that are excellent and truth and his righteousness and his knowledge. That's what we're rejecting. And we're going after that which is false. In verse 10, receive my instruction and and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things of one may desire cannot be compared with her. So emphasizing the value of wisdom here. Now remember that David, when we went through Psalms, in Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, which probably was penned by David, that he writes about the value of God's word. That it's more precious than gold, than fine gold. It's so valuable Jesus would say, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Those who reject God's word for salvation. But for us as well, that the value of having God's word and God in our hearts and living it out in our lives is more valuable than all the gold and silver in the world. It's so valuable. We're so blessed. People desire to have so many things, thinking that this is what's going to make me successful in life. Things don't make you successful. It's him, knowing him and and drawing close to him. Hearing his voice. We're going to talk about that on Sunday in Luke chapter 7. That, you know, I really, on Monday, I came in and just rewrote my notes. Because the Lord was really pressing some things on my heart about what we were talking about on Sunday about John the Baptist, and we're going to continue that on Sunday, that John the Baptist, what brought him great joy? What was he really about? And what is it that you and I are to be about? We are ones that we are rich in Christ. The greatest riches that anyone can have is having that intimate fellowship with him and knowing him and loving him. So as we evaluate our hearts here tonight, do you have a desire, really, do you have a desire to know him and to walk with him and to please him with your life? Or there are so many poles in the world that distract you and pull you away from him. Then that can happen to all of us. 
but we know that our joy is full as we walk with him. And I don't think there's a single person that's in this building listening to this message that I would say, hey, do you want to have a life that's full of joy or not? No, I don't want joy in my life. I just want to be miserable and confused and wondering all the time. I think that all of us want a joyous life, don't we? That's what people are trying to pursue. There's all kinds of philosophies out there that tell us how to be happy in life, how to be joyous. You know, it's popular. That's the message that's very popular in Christian circles. God just wants you to be happy. And how is it that you are happy? By pursuing things. Just speak it and you'll get that nicer car. You'll get that bigger house. Just name it and claim it and this is what you'll have. Popularity, prestige, that promotion, whatever. And God does bless us with things. I'm not saying that he can't bless us with things. But things are not going to bring you a fullness of joy. It's him. It's all about him. It's found in him. It's exploding that fullness of joy by knowing him. And I think that we need to be careful over time. For any of us, we've been a Christian, we've locked some time. Or you who are young, you've grown up in the church. There comes a time where we got to, you know, not forget about what he's done for us. And how he wants to bless our lives. We've got to make our faith our own. And to grow in that, to know him and doing that is going to bring that abundant life and fullness of joy. In your presence, David wrote, is what? Fullness of joy. And John heard the voice of Jesus. And it says that his joy was fulfilled. The word of God given to us and walking with him and walking in his ways is a good life. And oh, how I desire that for all of us. But you go by the way of the world and you're not going to speak excellent things. You're not going to know right things. You're not going to be living in truth or righteousness. You're not going to be living in godly knowledge. You're going to be deceived and in darkness and in bondage. Not because Pastor Jeff said so. Because the Word of God says so. Man, this wisdom is, is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Verse 12, I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. And the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way. And the perverse mouth I hate. Where the, f- the fear of the Lord is beginning, you know, is to hate evil. You and I are to hate evil. We don't hate people. But there are things we saw last week. Remember seven things that the Lord hates. And one of them was pride and arrogance. Because pride is the root of all kinds of evil. And pride is such a terrible sin. It caused Lucifer to fall and become Satan. Pride says, I'll do it my way. You know, hey, I'll live any way that I want. I'll go and do it in my own understanding. We see what happens when people do what is right in their own eyes. I'm going to do it my way. Read the book of Judges. You'll see how messed up it was and how miserable the people were and how it went from bad to worse. So we're to hate evil, the perverse, perverse mouth. Counsel is mine, verse 14, and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. We know in verse 14 that 
we have God's counsel. It brings us sound judgment. It brings us understanding. That's what we want. Don't we want understanding? And it brings us moral strength. And when it talks about strength here, it's strength to live for the Lord, moral strength. And then in verse 15, by me kings reign and rulers decree justice, by me princes rule and nobles and all the judges of the earth. In other words, as we live in, in wisdom, we have godly judgment that we can make. Good leadership qualities. I think about Daniel. Daniel, who in chapter 1 of the book of Daniel, he determined in his heart not to defile himself. I'm not going to eat of your food, king. I'm not going to eat of your drink, that which wasn't kosher for him. And what happened with Daniel is he made a commitment in his heart not to defile himself, that the Lord blessed it and honored that. And he was there in the king's court. And he was Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. And he had an excellent spirit within him. And God used him in such a powerful, powerful way. And it continued even to the reign of the Medes and the Persians under Darius. And Daniel, he wasn't free from trouble or difficulties. But he had strength. And he was used mightily of the Lord. And he was able to make godly judgments and decisions. So that's what wisdom does. And this verse 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. I love verse 17. Seek wisdom and he's going to give you wisdom. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Read your Bibles every single day. Those who seek me early will find me. Those who seek me diligently will find me. And as we talked about Paul writing to Timothy, Timothy, you know, be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. Read your Bibles every day. Continue in the scriptures. Continue growing in God's word. And those who love me, who seek me diligently will find me. Love the Lord. Seek him. Continue to seek God's wisdom. And riches and honor are with me. Verse 18. Enduring riches and righteousness. In other words, we have the true riches of Christ. Verse 19, my fruit is better than gold and than fine gold and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth that I may fill their treasuries. So again, true riches of Christ. And then verse 20 talks about how he will give us true guidance as he will show us the way of righteousness. And then in verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting from the beginning before there was ever an earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet I have not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. Verse 27, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. This is written 3,000 years ago when they thought the world was flat. Here the Bible saying, nope, there's a circle. The world's round. When he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. And then I was beside him 
as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. So when the Lord created the world, he created it with knowledge and with wisdom. As you look at the intricacy of the world, how it's all connected, the different ecosystems and diversity of the world, it's amazing, isn't it? Now, some of you guys... Um, I, I really am amazed that some of you who, who are great builders, you can build homes, you can build buildings, um, you know, you restore maybe old cars. I wish I could do that. I don't have the talent to do that. You know, I always admire those who are just can build things that are beautiful, furniture, fine furniture, homes, buildings, you know, restore cars. I, I can't hardly fix anything. I wish I had that knowledge. I wish I had that ability. But you think about the Lord putting the universe together, all powerful, all knowing, so awesome, too much to even comprehend. And then as we finish, verse 32, Now therefore listen to me, my children. Listen, he says, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Blessed means, oh, how happy. So how is it that you can truly be happy in the best sense of the word? What does God say? Keep his ways. Keep his ways. Don't go by the way of the world. Go by his ways. Keep his ways. Listen, he's saying. Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. And those who hate me love death. Powerful words that are given here. Jesus Christ gives life. He gives life. And he who rejects him, death comes. And notice the exhortation. Verse 32, listen. Verse 33 here. Verse 34, watching and waiting. And what will you find? Blessing, verse 32. Wisdom, verse 33. And favor and life, verse 35. I'm going to leave you with this. Paul the Apostle understood this. And a thousand years later, here comes Paul the Apostle in a sweaty, tent-making clothes. And he's riding from Corinth as he was making tents there in his bowed legs, in his hooked nose, in his bald head. And he said, it's real simple, guys. In Romans chapter 8, to be carnally minded is death. You want to have the stench of death in your life? Be carnally minded. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want true life to experience life the way it was meant to be experienced and lived the way that the Lord wants you and real peace? Be spiritually minded. And as we take heed to that, you're going to see that the Lord is going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. He wants to bless you so much. Will you let him do that? Trust him. And not take that pathway that's going to lead to pain and hurt and death. If anybody's here that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, he's the pathway to life, the only one. But you who are saved, he's the pathway to abundant life now in blessing. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time together.
We thank you for these two powerful chapters we've gone through. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts for the communion table, Lord, first of all, we know that the communion table is for the believer who holds the elements, recognizing this new covenant we belong to, the cup symbolizing his body that was broken for us, and the bread, his body broken, the cup, his blood shed for forgiveness of sin in this new covenant of love and sacrifice. But Lord, Jesus is eternal life. He brings it. There's no other source for salvation. It's not being good enough, religious enough. It is recognizing that all of us have sinned. Every single one of us. None of us have lived a perfect life. That's why Jesus came. Because he's the son of God who lived that perfect life and went to the cross and took all of our sins upon him. And then he cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I've paid the price. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves. Any religious act, no church can save you. It is coming in faith and believing what Jesus Christ did for you and dying on the cross for your sins. He was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. There's no body in the tomb. It's empty. He validated what he did, proved that he's the son of God. And if anybody is here listening to this message and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, he loves you and he says, come. And as you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again, that as you call out to him in faith, that he will hear you because he loves you and he wants to save you. If you don't know what would happen to you if you were to, to die tonight or tomorrow, get right with God tonight. Don't leave this place unless you do. And you pray right where you're sitting. He knows your heart. He hears your heart that you pray, Jesus, I come to you and I know that I'm a sinner and I believe you died on the cross for my sins and I come to you and I ask that you would forgive me and I believe that you're alive, you rose from the grave, that you're real and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer and thank you for this, this newness of life And help me to live for you and to know you all the days of my life. And if anybody prayed that prayer, you're welcome to the communion table. The communion table isn't just for those who belong to Calvary Chapel. It's for any believer. And for all of us, as we hold these elements in our hands, we remember what Jesus did for us. He didn't save us so we can live a life of sin and carnality and confusion and difficulties but a life of blessing and a life of wisdom and a life that, that has peace and, and is right to walk in the light not in the darkness to be free not in bondage that sin does he didn't save us for that that we would live for him, the creator of the universe. Because we are his workmanship.
created in Christ Jesus to live for him, to do good works. So Lord, I pray that as we hold the elements in our hands, that we would just marvel once again at the incredible grace and love of Jesus in going to the cross. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The ushers are going to hand out the communion elements. Just hang on to them and we'll partake of it together. <laughs>